Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Report Podcast. This is a special episode, actually. Uh, we have multiple people here. I think this might be the first podcast we have more than one other person on the show. Uh, and we'll be talking about Lost Kingdoms 2. So first, I have... Hello, I'm Rowan Carmichael. I'm one of the hosts of Platforms and Pitfalls, and you might remember me from the Gun Gauge episode. Thank you for coming back, Rowan. I really appreciate it. And you're also the one who kind of, I guess, sparked the flame for this this podcast. Yes, I saw a random chat on Twitter being like, Lost Kingdoms, Lost Kingdoms, like, let's do it. And now I finally played this game that's been in my backlog for about 10 years or so. And we have, who who, who was that random chat on Twitter? Uh, that was uh, me. Yes, I am Elena, and you might know me as Tap Troop on Twitter, and I really like Lost Kingdoms a lot, so that's why I'm here on this podcast. Are you are you the number one Lost Kingdoms fan, do you think? I, I don't know. In the world right now? <laughs> In the world right now? Possibly, but I will say for sure, with absolute certainty, that I have drawn the most Lost Kingdoms fan art in the world. <laughs> I didn't really want to be, but I just like drawing them, so it just works out, I guess. Somebody, somebody has to do it. Sometimes you have to fill out an entire—I don't know—like an entire. Every niche needs someone to fill those needs. Dude, I got like eighty files of art right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna reach a hundred soon. I mean, the art in this game is pretty good. Like the loading screen art. Like I can see why you yeah, want to make yeah. fan art of this world. Yeah, you know, and all the beautiful women and stuff. It really gets <laughs> yes. my weak point, you know. So, so I don't know how like well known Lost Kingdoms is. Uh, obviously, everyone in our group knows knows what it is. But I wanted to give like a, a, a kind of a quick overview of it. Uh, Elena, do you wanna do you wanna give like a quick like if you could sum it up in like a quick paragraph of Ooh, what the game okay. is? Okay, okay, is. Lost Kingdoms one or two. Uh, as a whole, let's just say as a whole. So Lost Kingdoms 1 is about your princess named Katya, and you're going around saving the world from monsters by throwing cards at them. And then she comes the queen and stuff, and then 200 years later, that's Lost Kingdoms 2. And then you're playing as a bandit named Terra, and you're also throwing cards around. And then you're trying to find your past because you were abandoned as a little kid. And then, should we even go into spoilers mode here? Uh, we'll, we'll get to spoilers, I think. We don't have to at this, this second. So the card part you, you mentioned is kind of the, the key part of this game. Um, you have like these, I think they're called rune stones in the game. And you can kind of like, you basically like have a deck of cards along with these rune stones. And they let you summon monsters and things like that. It's kind of what the series is based off. I think that's the lore lore behind it of these stones let you summon monsters basically. Yeah, there are special uh, there are several true rune stones, and then within the narrative there are fake artificial rune stones that are much less powerful. And the 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 queens of kingdoms have the true ones that everyone else wants. And and unlike a lot of other games that kind of is like card and deck based, uh, this is actually like a real time game. Um, you you are running around the environment. You. In the first game, you kind of get like these random encounters where you like lock into like arenas. Um, I believe the second game, that's not the case. You just are in the, the, the world itself. Yeah, then the monsters just spawn around and like you have to throw the cards at them while they're there. Yeah, and when, when you're throwing the... Well, you're not always throwing the cards, I guess, to some extent. Like it's... Um, it's it's kind of like the cards have different, or there's different types of cards that have like different types of monsters associated with them. Um, yeah, so there are three main uh, types overall. You've got independent types, which are like RTS minions, effectively. You've got weapon types, which are they come out, they do one single attack, and usually you have some invulnerability during them, which is really cool if you want to do like fancy dodging things, which the game is terrible at letting you do usually. <laughs> and um, you've got Summon monsters, where a monster appears for a brief moment, does one cool thing, and then goes away. And new to Lost Kingdoms 2, you have transform types, which let you change into a different monster and let you do certain environmental navigation things. And there's also uh, elements as well. And in Lost Kingdoms 1, there's uh, earth, there's water, and then there's fire, and also... Damn it, what's that last one? Wood. Wood. And then in Lost Kingdoms 2, there's two more. Wait, no, there's only one more. Which there's is machine. Dark and Null, right? Uh, machine and also Neutral. Neutral is already oh, in the first neutral. one. But so okay. Machine's yeah. the new one. And and it's kind of interesting with the... I don't think this is in Lost Kingdoms 1, but I think in Lost Kingdoms 2, like as you use these different elemental cards, 
um, you you kind of have like this this trade off leveling system where it's like the more fire cards you use, the higher your fire level is, but then it also lowers like your water level to some extent. And I don't think this is deck specific, right? This is just like it's a, it's specific to your character. Yeah. So as you play your stat, your elemental affinities change. It was kind of a weird system. By the time I finished, I had like ninety seven percent affinity in everything except for um neutral and machine which was that's, zero that's right because those ones are especially difficult to raise and if you want to get like all the hidden characters for a versus mode you have to grind them really hard which was a lot of pain for me and did you did you guys find that elemental system kind of like i i, I pretty much never even paid attention to it other than when it popped up on screen i was like oh my fire is up otherwise i didn't really notice a difference every time things leveled up or leveled down or anything like that yeah pretty much i mean i feel like it was it wasn't really that important to me until i had to start grinding for it to unlock the special doors in the sacred battle arena so that was the only time mm -hmm. i really cared about it i found that the weaknesses side of things were really important um we'll talk about this in a moment but i forgot a very or didn't know about a very important mechanic so <laughs> the only way i could actually like deal damage efficiently was to always exactly work out weaknesses on point mm -hmm. and the maps are very good when you enter a level it tells you like the percentage of which monsters are which element so you know in this area it's like 92 percent wood creatures and eight percent fire creatures or something and you can build your decks to deal with those things before having gone through it and like failed because you had a bad deck immediately yeah there's actually quite a bit of like prep time between these maps too like uh i feel like at least for me every time i went to an area like you said, it shows the the percentages and stuff, but you you I basically built a new deck every single time. There's like very rare cases that I actually reuse the same deck because even if it was like the same elemental combination, I've gotten tons of new cards since the last time I did it. So it was like, oh, time to you know shuffle in all these new cards and it's just like, ah, just start fresh. <laughs> oh, really? Personally, I just like kept with the same deck because I feel like if I had an equal amount of all the elements, then then all my elements would keep getting all the stars. No. They would keep getting all the uh, level ups equally, which is what I liked. Mm. Yeah, I had similar things. So there were a bunch of cards like they were in every deck. And it was like maybe 10 cards would get altered for every level. Like, oh, I need much more water for this for this level. So mm. I'll have much more water. But I'd also like before playing this, I'd watched like a speed run of Lost Kings 1. And I realized just how broken the dinosaur warriors were. <laughs> the lizard men, sorry. Lizard men. Um, and so my deck for the first like half of the game was just like mostly that single weapon type monster. And then it was like, and specific weaknesses. Yeah, there's those broken cards in Lost Kingdoms 1 and 2, but they're a bit different in Lost Kingdoms 2. Like, I remember the whipworm being really broken in Lost Kingdoms 1, but they totally nerfed it in 2. Mm -hmm. I, th I think all this, like, I think the elemental system in this game is, is at least for how I was playing it, where I was basically changing my element for every single map, uh, I found it to be, like, really important for that because kind of the whole game in, in some ways is about resource management because um, you have, like, a limited amount of points you can use not per map per se but you have like an energy meter and when you throw cards it, it burns energy from that meter essentially and and you also have a limited number of cards as well so like when you when you over or finish using cards they basically get taken out of your deck unless you have some way to like restore them and so a big part of it for me was like if i didn't have like the right elemental cards and I, I didn't really find broken cards in my playthrough, but that might just be more of how I play games. I just kind of throw whatever in my hand and don't pay too much attention to what is breaking it. <laughs> um, uh, oh, but then, yeah, so so both of these resources kind of in go hand in hand of like, you have to manage these resources to get through a level because if you run out of them, uh, Magic Stones, not so much, but the cards, if you run out of them, you really end up in spots where you have to basically restart the entire level. I want to just elaborate quickly on Magic Stones just a little bit more. So Magic Stones, you start off with, at the base level, 10, every level up you get, you can have one more. Um, you use them to spell, cast monsters. Whenever you hit a monster, Magic Stones fall out and you have to go pick them up. And since you're effectively, depending how you view the game, like playing sort of an RTS character, who's like, setting up your board and so on having to want to write into combat to pick up your resources is like an interesting risk reward thing it never quite works out because always the right choice to go in and get the gems because if you can't mm. afford to play a monster with your magic stones 
you spend, is it twice that much in HP? Oh, I never really checked, but you do lose HP for that, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a there's an amount of HP you lose for it. And while in Lost Teams 1, at least, you could make decks that like would refill your life at an equal rate to which you were losing life from everything else you were casting, not such an option in Lost Kingdoms 2. That's right. I remember also in Lost Kingdoms 1, there was like a mechanic where even if you keep using all your magic points and then you lose, you uh, decrease your HP, you still will never go past uh, one, so you'll never die. Yeah, you'll you'll never die from it, but you won't. You, that you will be one hit away from being killed. That's right, basically like a glass cannon. Yeah, but they removed it in Lost Kingdoms too. When you're at one HP, can you still throw cards and just not burn any HP? In Lost Kingdoms one or two? Uh, either or, I guess. In one you can, but not in two. You'll definitely die if you go over the limit. There's also one thing that you have to balance while you're still throwing your cards around. It's also the uh, where we were talking about the element level up system. Because if your element level is too low, you still have to like, you have to... You have to pay like double cost, right? That's right. You have to pay double the magic points, which is a pretty big annoyance. Especially when you get to the highest level cards, which are might innately cost, say, 10 stones. If you're doubling that, you need 20. And to be able to pay double that, you need to be at like level 10 to do that anyway. Which you probably aren't, because the game doesn't need you to be that high level to finish it. Pretty much. And there's, I remember there's a few transformation cards which you get early in the game, which take like 10 magic stones usually, but you're not high enough level, so it takes 20. So can't even use it very well. I, I did not even realize it's part of the game, so <laughs> I'm not sure if I was paying the double price. There are definitely cards when I looked at them and was like, oh God, I will never use this in any situation. <laughs> I will take them out of my hand. It's usually so. like the machine and neutral cards too, and they're like pretty cool cards, but because it's so hard to raise their level, you never get to use them. Yeah, I I never really yeah I never really end up using the neutral or machine cards in that case. Yeah, I found like a lot of the early machine neutral cards were just like this isn't very good or appealing, and then when I found ones that were cool, it's like well, I have to pay like fifty stones and lose half my life to play this card, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> I would have a question for you guys though. What's the most used card that you guys would use? For me, it was actually Death, which was a neutral card, but it only used like four magic stones and it was super easy to level up to get to the required level. So I basically use it all the time and I've maxed out the EXP for it. For me, it was um, the, the Lizard Man card, which is just a single um, arc slash that when it levels up, you can like make transform copies into like different elements. So I just had that and its siblings in a lot of my decks. Isn't there like a Lizardman combo as well that you can use? Probably, but I never used that system at all. I didn't use any of the combos because I never had like the right combos of cards in my hand at the time. I never once used a combo. What is the what is the implication of that? Like do you have to use the cards at the exact same time or So when you use the Z effect thing, right? Okay, should we roll back to Z effect first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so the z effect is actually and maybe because of me not like properly leveling things i i leaned on this much more uh the z effect essentially lets you like double the amount of magic stones you use to cast a card but it also increases the potency of that card i'm not sure by how much typically if it's like just a double effect up but um but basically you put the z effect on all the cards increase by two times their cost and then you can use them and they usually are more effective and that that was how i ended up burning through a lot of the game was was just powering up all my cards to the z effect system and it really plays in nicely with the resource management aspects because cards are a very limited resource that's hard to restore magic stones are important but there's plenty there's a plentiful amount of them in the maps and dungeons so it's that choice of using one card very heavily versus like ex using it all up immediately, which I think was a really, if I had known about the Z effect system when I was playing the base game, <laughs> I would have had a much easier time. And so when you're using the combos with that Z effect system, is that like, does it burn both cards at the same time or? Oh yeah. It'll burn either two, three or four cards at the same time. And when you use all the Z, we can use a Z combo it doesn't actually multiply the magic stone usage by that much. It has like a set amount and basically you can just use all the cards at once and have like a showy combo that looks cool, but we don't really ever use it in regular gameplay. Is it like a special animated, like, you know, when you summon a monster and it comes down, it's like, or not, you summon one of the cards and they like come down, it has plays like a little animation that spins around and stuff. Is it like that or is it more of just the standard swipe animations and stuff like that? 
Actually, some of them are like that. They look pretty cool. They have a special, unique animation, but some of them aren't. Like for, I would say one of the more memorable combos that I can think of is actually when you summon. I think it is two doppelgangers. So you'll have three terrors show up on the screen, and then they all like transform into one singular terror. It's very weird, and you'll never get to see it because who has two doppelganger cards? Um, but the Z effect and combo system is interesting. So when I was trying to find out what Z effect was, when I saw it in your notes and didn't know what it was at all. <laughs> I did some quick Googling and I found a GameSpot interview that talked about how Z-Effect and Combo were new systems in the game and they were partially implemented to make the game more easily accessible to people who found the first game too complicated, which I find is an odd choice since they're complications. But I think the idea is that since Z-Effect lets you just get much more out of single cards it makes it easier to not run out of cards entirely, even if you've made some suboptimal deck building choices. Have you guys ever felt like you ran out of cards while playing Lost Kingdoms 2, though? I feel like I haven't ever like gone to zero cards, except when I was fighting a boss. Once or twice, I ran into that. Um, there's an uh, um, about mid-game, when you're going through like the ruins... I should remember the name of the stage. Runestone Cavern? And the evil king summons like an un like a underground demon. Oh yeah, Runestone Caverns, that's it. Mm -hmm. Runestone Caverns. In the Runestone Caverns, that boss, like I had to redo that map because I didn't have enough cards to even like do enough damage to kill him. If I'd used every card optimally, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I had to like rush through the map a second time, barely killing anything to get to him and have enough cards to kill him. But if I'd known about Z effects, I could have probably <laughs> done it. <laughs> I think I think I had to restart that mission too. Um, but I think the problem was is that he's kind of far away a lot of the times. Like I don't think you can use the yeah. melee cards to reach him usually. You can. You just need to wait till he's like rising up right before he does his like attack. But then dodging the attack after you've used the card is very difficult unless you're very brave and decide to use the invulnerability of the weapon cards while he's firing through you, basically. Yeah, that whole fight, I feel like that really showed the limitations of the movement of Lost Kingdoms 2. Because you don't, you don't have like a dodge or anything. You're pretty much just stuck to walking. And as you take damage, Tara starts limping. <laughs> and she moves even slower, it feels like. I, I, I think that's the case. Or at least it's a, a little more of a a weird pace to it. It's like not a, a consistent movement. It's like a slight, slow, go slow, go faster as you kind of limp forward. And this is... We we didn't talk about this in the history side too much, but this is a um, from software game back in that sort of mid two thousand sort of B tier developer that was ignored by a lot of people at the time, and a lot of their games, while being very interesting and good, were also like fairly clunky. Before like they did it in the right in like a way that was socially acceptable with Dark Souls, <laughs> um, and Lost Kingdoms too, I think, is particularly a victim of that because they combine it being like a little bit clunky maybe not enough ways to get out of problems with a camera angle that can often feel maybe a bit too close. It doesn't always give you enough vantage point of what you need. That's kind of interesting. I feel like the camera in Lost Kingdoms 2, it was quite all right, but there are places where you can't zoom in or zoom out and the fixed angle is kind of annoying. Yeah, like there are places where I wanted to use a zoomed out angle to like line up my shots better and it wouldn't even let me zoom out. I was just stuck in the... Standard, like, third-person-y sort of viewpoint. I, I generally didn't have too much trouble with the camera, although I did feel like with some attacks, like, I felt like I couldn't judge the distance as well without the zoomed-out camera. So, like, if I would do a melee attack and just, like, barely whiff the enemy, like, right in front of them. Um, but for the most part, like, uh, the camera never got, like, too much in the way for me. Um, it is interesting that you can kind of... So the original Lost Kingdoms has, like, this very zoomed-out camera level, and you can kind of get, like... Not all the way there, but you can kind of like in some areas zoom out just enough so it's reminiscent of how Lost Kingdom 1 looks in some ways. Dungeon designs are a lot more like closed off, so you really can't make full advantage of of that zoomed out camera, I feel like. Because in Lost Kingdoms 1, you can kind of see everything in a room where in Lost Kingdoms 2... You... Even the skybox you can see. You can even see the skybox. It's great. I love it. <laughs> it's like you're playing in a dollhouse in a way. <laughs> yeah I, I like that part of it like it's like a weird diorama thing they beat link's awakening to its whole aesthetic way before it did it what one other thing they did introduce into this game though is the uh the the transformation system um 
and Lost Kingdoms 2 particularly. And that, that basically lets Tara like switch into different forms. Um, and you can basically like turn it. It's like a, it's like a big rock golem. And then there's like a flying bird dude. Right. And then like a flying bird dude, a hellhound. Those are the required ones for puzzles and things. There are like another four or five, I think. That's right. There's some that you can uh, travel underground. And there's also a few other bird ones. And there's also like this, I think there's an old witch that can also hover over gaps. It's kind of cute. Yeah, I really like this idea in theory. Like it adds, the idea is, is like it adds sort of a Metroidvania-ish thing within like the system of cards, which I think is a cool idea for this kind of game. But they also just felt like keys that I had to have in every deck just in case I needed it. Sometimes you even need multiples of it too. Like for the Hellhound, I feel like you need two or three for to complete that fossil graveyard place. And if you don't bring enough, you get stuck. There were a bunch of Hellhounds in that level, I think, weren't there? That's right. But once you go back to replay the level, you've got to include them all back in your deck. Yeah, then you've got to have it all in. And the level that you get the Birdman, like it has like a dozen copies in that level or something absurd because you need a lot to use that power a lot. And the nice thing in Lost Kings 2 is you can discard cards for free. Like you can discard and they just go to the bottom of your mm-hmm. deck or something. Mm-hmm. So you can always get the card you need if you need it, but it's just a hassle when it's like, I need my Birdman now. <laughs> discard, 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 discard. And there he is. And the only way you can add those cards into your deck, though, once you find them, is if you find these little like blue sphere things in the map, right? You can't just add it at any point. Deck points, they're called, aren't they? Yep, deck points. That's right. So it does lead to situations where if you do like burn those those cards, you kind of just are stuck waiting until there's like these little blue fairies that fly around <laughs> and and they're actually kind of a pain to grab sometimes. But um, I think they can restore some cards for you. So sometimes you can like wait in an area and then get them to restore cards in hope that they restored the correct card for you to transform into the wolfman and jump off like a ledge or something like that. So my experience with the blue fairies in Dusk Kingdoms 2 was that it seemed like it was so much rarer for them to give me cards back, if ever. Lost Kings 1, I felt it was very common, but Lost Kings 2 felt like it was more or less just life boosts. Really? I feel like, I don't know, I feel like they're all equally given to me. Life boosts. Huh? I feel like they're all equally given. Maybe uh, maybe RNG just hates me or it's confirmation bias. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two. I remember this very memorable incident when I was stuck on a ledge and I had to wait for all the blue fairies to come across but they're all on the other ledge right below me. So I couldn't even reach them, even though they're right there. So I was just cursing myself thinking, Tara, just please <laughs> jump down there and get the blue fairies. But she never happened. Yeah, for like a circus thief acrobat type character, she's not very nimble. And like in the first game, Lost Kingdoms 1, at least Katya can jump down ledges, but Tara can't. It just doesn't make sense to me. Which is interesting because like Katya's or not, uh, Lost Kingdoms One is much more like flat game in terms of its level design. There's not a lot of elevation, I feel like. But Lost Kingdoms Two does like, like there's a lot of like ledges and gaps you can fly between and stuff in Lost Kingdoms Two because of the transformation cards and things like that. Um, and I feel like there's just like a lot more like an in-world feeling to the level design in Lost Kingdoms Two in general, like. It feels like a regular video game level. It's like, okay, Tara's here. But like we said earlier, the camera's really zoomed out in Lost Kingdoms 1. So it's like you have these dioramas. You can kind of you can see the outlines of all the rooms and you can see like the 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 ends of the environment and everything. Um <laughs> and it, it makes Lost Kingdoms 2 feel more, I guess, modern in some ways. Cause I feel like Lost Kingdoms 1 is very similar to like PlayStation, like v- budget PlayStation games to me. That's like weird signal that goes off my brain when i play lost kingdoms one yeah it's like the prettiest ps1 rpg you ever played (laughs) (laughs) um and i think that plays a lot i think that's both a strength and a weakness of lost kingdoms too like when it from a presentation standpoint it looks really good for the era i guess um but i also feel like the the build out of these areas so like when you're in a cave you can't really like see around you just got to kind of use your map to navigate and the maps aren't particularly bad but when you look at like the cave design in lost kingdoms one because you could zoom the camera out and you could see all the other rooms in the environment um it to me it made it easier to feel like i could plan um where i'm going especially because the resource management part of the game especially which i feel like is more intense in lost kingdoms one that you really have to make full use of the all your cards in that game I feel like there's just like a trade-off between Lost Kingdoms 1 and Lost Kingdoms 2 in that regard. 
Yeah, and I think that Lost Kingdoms 2 definitely has, like, a greater sense of place for a lot of environments, particularly, like, the towns and, like, places people have lived, compared to the first game, at least. But it's a hassle to navigate, even if it does add a sense of, like, place to the world. I haven't really thought about the map very much myself. And, and I guess one other thing to say about like the maps is is kind of interesting. This may be more of a like a lore thing for Lost Kingdoms, but um, I played Lost Kingdoms. So I, I played Lost Kingdoms forever ago, uh, like when I was twelve or something, and then I revisited it like nine years ago again. Um, so so I played Lost Kingdoms two this time around, and then and then I I finished Lost Kingdoms two and kind of went back to Lost Kingdoms one to to relook at it then, and it's kind of like I didn't realize when I first played Lost Kingdoms two, all the areas are pretty much the same locations between the two games. And so you get to see these two very different portrayals of, of the areas. Like there's this, this area that's like a, a bridge map in the first game. And it's very small in, in the original one. And like these bridges are like barely, barely larger than uh, Katia. Um, but at the same time in, in Lost Kingdoms 2, those bridges are also like, they're more like full size bridges and things like that. So you get to see this weird like change of scale between the two games. Unless Tara is just a very tiny person. <laughs> I had the same experience as well. It was also in place in Lost Kingdoms one and two called a uh, Plains of Roal or something that Plains place. And in Lost Kingdoms one, it's like a really simple tutorial place. You just walk around. It's very like linear path. But in Lost Kingdoms two, it's like a little field that's totally flat, and you can see like uh monsters you can see all the monsters you can see like it's an orange hue it's a lot different from lost kingdoms one it's a really interesting contrast that that level in particular uh i don't know how to put this maybe it was part of because i i did play lost kingdoms so long ago but like hearing that music like slowed down and seeing that environment and like realizing that was the same place and just like the overall kind of like it's like it's like the post battlefield kind of thing. It's like a bunch of wreckage and stuff. There's like some monsters wandering around, but you're you're there after the fact, basically. And it's like this very like somber tone to the area. I feel like in it, absolutely. I really love the audio in that part of the level. It. I don't know what kind of impact it had on me, but it, it did have definitely make me go like, oh, like maybe like a nostalgic feeling to some extent because I knew that music and liked that music so much in the first game. Oh uh, yeah, I feel that too. What I wanted to say was how it's a remix from the first game, but it also has like little bits of like the Lost Kingdom theme in there. Mm. When I felt that, I, when I heard that, it just made me feel, oh my God, Katya was here before. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing in the footsteps of where she was. This is a holy land. <laughs> and. Actually, like, it is interesting given, like, the game doesn't tell you a lot of direct story. Uh, so a lot of it gets from NPCs. But I really did feel like this sense of how Cartier was revered, which I feel a lot of RPGs don't. Maybe just my attachment of playing the first game, but I don't usually feel that, like, sense of history in games too strongly compared to this. She's the doom guy of the Lost Kingdoms world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Oh, and there's like that one level in the Alonja Castle. You just turn around and there's a huge portrait of her. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, she's real. She's really here. Yeah. I, I do feel like Lost Kingdoms 2 spends a lot more time like cultivating its story. in in that regard, like uh, Lost Kingdoms 1 is, whenever you played it, at least it like it, I really didn't feel like I got a lot of character development from anybody except for, I forget her name, the purple lady. Yeah. She has like a, a nice cutscene. Uh, Helena, that's right. Yeah. Helena, yeah. She has like a really nice cutscene during that story, but otherwise there's not a lot going on like plot wise. Yeah, it's very brief. It's very slight. I feel like Lost Kingdoms 2 is trying to be a bit more like triple A for the era. Like it, it looks a lot more like a game from that era than Lost mm -hmm. Kingdoms 1 does for sure. Like in terms of camera position, the way it tells story, the use of voice acting is a little bit more in line with like other games from that era. I would say so too. Yeah, it has a very modern feeling. It has, you know, voice acting compared to Lost Kingdoms 1. How did you guys feel about that voice acting, by the way? It wasn't great. <laughs> um, but I like enjoyed hearing it. I was very surprised that they gave Tara a voice line at the end. Yeah. Yes, it is very nice to have friends or something like that. Yeah, it's nice to have friends or something. I, I actually like, I like, I don't know, I, I want to call it bad voice acting, but I like voice acting of the era for sure. So I did definitely really like it. Uh, like, Soul is just a very, uh, I don't know. He sounds like a little boy most of the time. <laughs> like, in, in both his composure and, like, 
like the type of dialogue he has. Um, I guess I guess we could talk about like I feel like this game has pretty strong character relationships despite how little goes on um, with it. Like like Lost Kingdom is one you're you're and we're gonna get into spoilers territory, I guess. So so if you if you're listening, beware. Go play Lost Kingdoms. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Go play Lost Kingdoms too right now. It only takes like six hours or so to get through the initial playthrough so they're both short games yeah one day do it marathon to series <laughs> you can do it <laughs> um but but in lost games one your, your dad dies and katia's dad dies um and and there's like a short cutscene with that but i i feel like like there's not enough build up to that point really and there's not really a consequence af- afterwards so it kind of feels like you show up and like oh dad bye <laughs> and then you go off to save the world um but lost games 2 really like builds the characters from the start because it's like this kind of uneasy relationship between i think a lot of the characters like tara is like this thief who's been basically abandoned by her her mother um and and this this bandit guy named victor um who's kind of in some ways the scum of the earth becomes kind of her stepdad (laughs) and then he's um and like he's not a super nice guy but if you sit there and like go back and read the dialogue between him and tara a lot there's actually like a lot of like nice little touches here and there i think at one point he tells you like not to hurt yourself and stuff and just like hey it's very very authentic dad behavior honestly yeah yeah like he fits the very like the common archetype of like the 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 rogue father who like you know actually has a heart of gold kind of thing but kind of the vibe around him at the same time he's and i think the manual points this out is like he's like ever since they got you because you have the rune stone and and everything like their their bandit clan has been flourishing you know they're 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 doing very well and and there's kind of like a sense that in some ways he's kind of using you for that and tara like i think they point out early on like she's never really integrated in the group per se she's very much just kind of sticks to herself and and doesn't really kind of become a part of that it kind of feels it kind of feels like she's looking down on them in a way because she was actually really not into bandit at the whole time it's just because victor picked her up so she feels uh, indebted to her but really she's not part of the bandits and she's lonely and i mean that makes sense like we haven't mentioned it but she has a second name she is tara grimface (laughs) (laughs) i did not realize that (laughs) no one one day i'll email activision and ask them why why did you name her tara grimface Is it the Japanese not Grimface? That's just the U.S. version. No, in Japanese, her name's just Liz. Actually, oh, it's a different name, huh? Interesting. Oh, Liz. Really simple. No, in the English, yeah, she is Tara Grimface. <laughs> so obviously, she doesn't have many friends. Is she? That's her name. She she is a silent protagonist, though. Mostly, other than that one line of dialogue at the end, which I think in most cases, when you're like trying to build a story with a game, it it can kind of go good or bad depending on the game. Some games, it, your character just comes off as like a blank board. Um, but in Tara's case, I feel like the reaction she has to other characters sometimes like tells a lot about how she's feeling. Like like I, you don't really get a good sense of how she feels about her stepdad Victor most of the time but then victor dies in the encounter with the guy in the basement that we talked about earlier and then and then she like goes out of her way to like bury him and build like a grave site for him and everything um i forget what she builds it out of it's like a rock and like his sword is what it is that's pretty much it and then i think it's like shown that she carves his name and like here lies victor into the stone itself yeah and i think that's like a really nice like it shows this is like a level of affection there for that person like because she could have easily just left his body in the that basement area and and not done anything so even though it's like kind of this weird relationship between the two characters i do like it a lot because it is kind of questionable at times um because victor's not exactly the most soft boy outside if he's he's overweight and (laughs) is actually soft but (laughs) but from an emotional standpoint um but he seems like because every now and then we see cutscenes of a girl that is not directly called um your younger self but is your younger self pretty clearly um and it seems like a lot of people were afraid of her because she would play with monsters as they say and he seems like he might have been the first person to not be afraid of her hmm. i didn't think about that part that's that's interesting that like he's he's a, the one who accepted her for that um even if it was to yeah. use her but <laughs> Still, it's like you're shown some kindness in a world that's never been kind to you. Um, so there's there's kind of two other main characters. Uh, they're, they're 
basically the childhood friends of Tara. Uh, you have Sol, which is as an adult part of the bandit clan kind of thing or is he part of the bandit clan it seems like he kind of joined about three years before the events of the game that kind of thing yeah it seemed fairly recent because because he mentions at some point he's like so happy to have found out that you were still alive kind of thing and i don't have a lot to say about soul like i think he's a a kind and charming guy but then he goes and kills himself (laughs) for no real good reason he doesn't kill himself he nobly sacrifices himself he like pushes you on an elevator that you could also get on or he could also get on. It's like, uh, just really want to impress Tara, yeah. I guess. Hey, Tara, check it out. I'm going to die. But there's like a good ending where he doesn't die, right? That's right. But he still nobly sacrificed himself, but he didn't die from it or something. Is that it? And he got a nice necklace and that apparently makes him not dead. And you, you actually got the good ending, right? Yeah, yes. It takes a bit of work. You got to like, uh, oh yeah, you got to, finish all the side quests by killing the cultists and then you got to get a necklace for his soul and he just wears it and he lives <laughs> which it's it's kind of interesting so i guess like the, the kind of the sequence of events for this is that like you go to this castle you're fighting the big monster boss thing that's like kind of the final boss in some ways or you're like you're in the area while it's like attacking the castle and um and so he does his whole little brave sacrifice thing and if you have the the like the little beads or whatever they are that you give to them um there's a cutscene at place where you get them. And then if you get there, there's kind of like two different scenarios. I like the bad scenario better, which is where you just find him dead. And then like Tara like hugs him. Cause it's like, it's like a kind of emotional scene to some extent of like, you know, Oh, she, he died. And she's like grieving his death after, you know, the whole thing with Victor too. But then if you get the good ending from what I can tell you, correct me if I'm wrong, you just get a text box that says, I feel a pulse and that's it. <laughs> Pretty much. And he still looks dead, honestly. It's still the same model, the same posing. It's just, he's dead. But then the other one's like, he's not dead. He just has a little pulse, but you can't really tell. And it changes who's in the final cutscene. And that's the only other change, right? Is that he shows up in the final cutscene versus... Rashiana, the sister. Yeah, the other kind of big character in this. Before we move on to her, I'd like to talk about two levels that Sol is like deeply involved in. Oh yeah, I forgot all this. (laughs) That are Probably worth talking about. So there's the first one you play with him along your side, I think is the the stealth level that doesn't have any stealth in it, where you've been captured, your runestone has been taken, and for some reason, your friend's sword hasn't. <laughs> um, so you go on, you have to escape the castle, and you have to let him fight things while you like navigate through, but also not let him die. And you don't have much to do other than just find the next space it feels like it was just a level missing like a mechanic for you tara to do it's like if you just kind of let him fight eventually at least in my case when i just sat there and like watched him he eventually just dies on his own it's like okay rest (laughs) in peace soul so basically i had to run past everything while he stayed in the first room fighting whatever was there (laughs) yeah there's that i was really hoping that like oh after we do a room or two be like you can, can you can give him commands using the buttons like a familiar or something, but no. Um, and then you get to work with him in a different level. You have to get through it in like 10 minutes to get to the gate of a castle, yeah. I believe. Oh, that's right. Yes. Like you're trying to go to Alanja Castle and you have to go through all the uh, machines and stuff in 10 minutes. I think that sequence is first, right? Yes. Oh, that's right. You go through that and then you get put in prison. Yes. <laughs> um, so that sequence I found really agonizing because keeping him alive to get through the end required like very careful babysitting when I just wanted to like get there in the time limit. It's very generous. So I was worried for nothing, but it was one of the few levels I had to do twice. He died at the end for me on that level for sure. <laughs> I was like, Oh no, definitely here yeah. too. Um, I was kind of hoping cause you know, and this is kind of a side track. I don't know if we'll talk about this too much, but uh, lost kingdoms one has multiplayer and it's like a battle arena thing. And lost kingdoms two also had multiplayer. I was kind of hoping that maybe like, if Soul was like a, this is before I actually was playing the game and just saw like the trailers. Like I was kind of hoping Soul might be like more of a permanent side character, and maybe the other player could like take control of Soul in like a very like Tales of Symphonia kind of thing, where it's just like it's everybody uses the same camera, but but the other character kind of run around. I was kind of hoping for that, but uh, very much did not happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's in very few parts of the game outside the story itself. No swords in this game for you, I guess. Yeah, it just would have been nice, I guess. I don't know. It probably would be easy to abuse the, the whole game and like break it because then you could just plug the controller and have f- soul fight everything rather than use your cards. So, if only Terra had a sword for the whole game, <laughs> it would probably be a lot easier for her. 
And then you also have uh, Tara's sister, right? Uh, Rash- Rashanu? Rashanu. Yeah, Rashanu. They're twin sisters. They were separated at birth because, in the game's own words, if there are twins, there could be civil war. Which they never explained why that could be the case. They can't get along, I guess. They need some family therapy, possibly. I was I was checking my screenshots before um, we were doing this to make sure that I had like that quite right. But yeah, there would be civil war. I mean, they don't get along early on, uh, like because because all Rashana wants is the runestone, like for the most part. Like she doesn't really care that her sister's there. It feels like it's just give me that runestone, please. And um, <laughs> eventually, it's a very weird sequence of events. So you do this whole thing. You do that whole like escape sequence of Soul, I believe, at this point, um, where you get like captured in the castle by Rashanu, right? During the war, she basically locks you up in her mm-hmm. main thing while she takes your runestone to go fight the big evil thing. Um, and she was so yes. bad at it, honestly. Yeah. And so it goes bad. And then everybody kind of like evacuates to the, to a church. And like you see her again there and like, in two lines, she's like, give me the runestone again. But then immediately is like crying at you like, oh, God, I love you so much, sister. And it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I, I thought about me and myself and what I was going through. But you, you've had it so rough being separated and thrown out by your family from Bath. It's like the beginning of the cutscene. It's like, oh, give me the runestone back. But at the end, it's like, please save us. Actually, I can't do anything about the runestone. Your only hope, dear sister. I think it would make more sense if they just didn't address, like, do that whole beginning part of that cutscene where she's, like, angrily asking you for the runestone. Because, like, there's nothing that happens that really changes the tone of the conversation. She just kind of changes at one point. Like, the next text box is just... It's kind of an awkward cutscene, honestly. I kind of wish it was explored more, uh, Tara's and Rashiano's relationship. Mm -hmm. Because there's... Yeah, because, like, the idea of, like, oh, I was forced to pretend to be a monarch of power when I didn't have the actual power that people feared me for is actually a really cool hook for a narrative. And they do three text boxes of it. <laughs> but you guys do eventually get along. Uh, and that's kind of... Uh, the whole thing is that you, Sol, and her like childhood friend... Kinda, well, I mean, she's your sister. But you got you guys got along when you were, you were ch- children. And so it does kind of, in the end, play yeah. to that of like, hey, we'll, we're going to get along again kind of thing. Unless Sol dies, of course. Then it's just the two of you. Well, you get her at the end cutscene instead. So arguably you get more interaction with her if Sol dies, I guess. <laughs> but also, once she, once she lets you have the runestone, though, she gives you tells you where to find the God of Destruction card, which you need to enter her castle again. Oh, I forgot about that. A number of the puzzles just like, use this card that is somewhere in the world. Which I kind of appreciate because the cards are like, not just keys, you can use them in <laughs> other contexts. But it's also just fun, like, ah, you know, you'll need this, the God of Destruction. It's like this very, like, it seems like it should be much more important and not just found in the middle of the plains of Rohan, I think. Rohan or something? Rohan, yeah. There's like a little, little runic door or something, and it's like a tiny closet (laughs) you walk into. You're like, okay, yeah, I got it. Although I think the whole thing is like the door won't open unless you have the runestone, so... So you need the runestone and you need the God of Destruction because you need to attack it with all four elements at once. To break a door. Yeah. To break the door. You need God to break a door. <laughs> Which you need the God of Destruction. Because <laughs> the God of Destruction is on your side, but not the God of Harmony. I think it was the God of Creation that wasn't on your side. Oh, I know. It was Harmony, right? Yeah, you fight the God of Harmony at the end. Because Destruction is A-OK, but Harmony... <laughs> Thinking about it, in Lost Kingdoms 1... Are you with the God of Harmony then, and then you fight the God of Destruction? So did they flip-flop it? I think it was the God of Creation back then that you're on the side of, and then the God of Harmony is only mentioned there. Okay, gotcha. It came out out of nowhere for me particularly. I was very shocked by like, oh, and now we're fighting this boss. Yeah, it feels like you're kind of like the middle point of the story, to me at least. Like You're like, okay, this feels like this is going to go places. Then all of a sudden it's like, hello, fight jesus christ or something <laughs> yeah it seems like meeting like meeting russia and he was like oh this should be the start of like the third act or like later in the second act and like, no it's like towards the end of the third act you've got like two levels after you meet her or something silly one other thing i want to and this might be seem like a a hard term but one thing i do want to talk about because we talked about kind of the the god of destruction card opening that door 
Um, and I think this is true for Lost Kingdoms 1. There are a lot of like optional, I don't know if you'd call them puzzles, but like things you can mess up in Lost Kingdoms 2 and like permanently lock off chests. Uh, like activate a catapult and it'll destroy the catapult you need to destroy this other thing to get to a chest like those the designs around these side chests are are just very strange even in the first game there's like cases where it's like there's a chest behind a set of barrels but you can't use your cards in the environment usually so you have to like run around these barrels and get in an encounter and then attack the barrels to open the chest up yeah i do appreciate i do appreciate yeah how lost kingdoms too at least you don't have any more you gotta get trapped in an arena you can just actually just hit the barrels from the overworld but those uh those easily lock offable treasure chests that's oh those are really bad i like it in a sense because i sort of like missable items in the sense of they force you just adapt with whatever you end up with but if you're trying to be a completionist, it's mm-hmm. not as fun. Not at all. I left the area and came back and was like, oh no. <laughs> like, this isn't going to respawn. <laughs> Eventually, I had to like make a second file just to like, bring the card over from my second file. I had to, like, it was super roundabout. I had to go to versus mode. I had to, like, bet on the card so I could steal the card from my second file to put in my yeah. first one. Actually, mm-hmm. I have a question about thinking about that. You can transfer your cards from the original game, right? That's right. Did either of you do that? Absolutely. How do you feel that changed your experience? Oh, honestly, it didn't change my experience very much because I got the ability to transfer my cards after I beat the game. So it was really just, oh, it was really just, oh, welcome back, everybody. I got all my worms, got all my doppelgangers all my super op cards so you can't transfer in the campaign you can only transfer after you finished it ah yeah that's right because there's some doors that only unlock after you beat the game okay that makes sense i thought it was just you could do it at any point that makes so much more sense of balance like like you can't get all these cards and stuff but i feel like in the main game itself like when you go to fight uh the goddess of harmony is what it is like you go to that final encounter and you find out like it's actually a super super easy boss fight like you pretty much just need to kind of keep your distance. So I feel like the like the buildup of your cards feel kind of wasted at the end of the game because you um you just get to this encounter where you just have to walk up, hit, and then walk back out and then do that over and over again. The game has a very weird difficulty arc, I feel, overall. Like there's a point where a lot of new cards I was getting were not terribly exciting. So it was most like, oh. The old cards I've had for the whole game finally got enough experience to level up to their most powerful transformations. And so now I can change this into a mind flayer. Now I can change this into a sea monk. Now I can change this into whatever. And we, we really didn't touch on that earlier that you can actually kind of like get, like each card gains EXP and kind of like duplicate cards and then like change them into other cards and things like that. Which I do like that part of the game, if only for the visual flair of it. I like the whole like animation where you go in that like dark room with the two like seals on the floor with the flames and you just like sit there and like, I don't know, do a little summoning dance kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, there are lots of little nice touches with the cards. Like it's very, it's not quite the same, but when you throw an independent monster, if you hold the button, you can like just choose where the card moves in the air. And have it land where you like. I just like I like doing a little twirl just for fun, just to make it feel extra special. <laughs> yeah, like you do a little spin and then you have it keep going forwards and then it lands. And it's like, oh, so much more pro. Not very useful mechanically, but it's nice that you can do it. But yeah, the transformations of the cards are very pleasing to watch. Um, it's not something that was done much in that era, like outside of Megami Tensei, I think, that you saw mm-hmm. those sorts of mm-hmm. scenes. Um, so, so kind of the last few things I wanted to touch on here, um, is I did want to talk about, um, kind of the, the importance of Lost Kingdoms, maybe not Lost Kingdoms 2 specifically, but Lost Kingdoms as a franchise, um, because it's, I don't feel like it's a game that gets talked about very often, um, these days. Not at all. But I will say, I can't think of anything else quite like it. Like it's kind of these two games and that's kind of it. And I think it's like the mix between the action and the card part of the game. Like there's a couple of other games that mix like familiars into the battle system, like uh, folklore is one I always keep think of where that's more like uh, kind of like more like the action based cards in Lost Kingdoms where it's like you press a button and the character like does the enemy like comes out of you and does a swipe. And then there's also um, Knights of Azure, which was like where you summon these like monsters around you. So it's like a fairly straightforward hack and slash game, but you summon these monsters that kind of come around and fight with you. 
But most of the time, if you look at a card game, it's almost always a turn-based game. Yeah, for sure. Like, I definitely think that the two sort of legacies, the three sort of legacies are, like, you've got this combination of cards in real-time combat, which is sort of limited to this and, like, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories and some of the Battle Network real-time platformer Mm -hmm. games, and that's sort of it, in my experience. Then you've got, like, the game play with like an action game with rts elements and controlling like familiars and things and then you've just got this legacy of it being part of from software which at this point we wouldn't know would become so influential in games but now is like very influential in like how we talk about games today yeah i've actually had some people like after i talk about lost kingdoms they didn't even realize that it was from from software they're like wait this is a from game for real <laughs> I had to tell him, yeah. Yeah, from software existed pre Demon Souls. Who could tell? <laughs> oh god. They made a lot of games over the years. Like it's kind of ridiculous. Honestly, the release time between Lost Kingdoms One and Lost Kingdoms Two was like a year. That's right. Yep. It's it's a very short turnaround time for a video game. Um, I think even during that era, it feels like in that era, like unless you're a huge huge studio, it wasn't that uncommon for that kind of re- release schedule. This is sort of in that double A mm-hmm. space that I think this is much more viable for because. FromSoft put out a lot of stuff in that generation, like Armored Core games, like every year as well. Wow. While doing these and Kingsfield and um, Shadow Tower and a few other things. For me personally, I just feel like there's a really nice quirkiness to it, you know, being in like a GameCube era. And most people just remember it from like the corners of their mind, like, oh yeah, Lost Kingdoms, I rented that from Blockbuster like a million years ago. So it, it kind of inhabits that quirky space in my mind, which really makes it dear to me that feeling and also the art as well the art is really beautiful like when i was searching up the guidebooks and i got the lost kingdoms one guidebook i saw some new art in there and it really just blew me away by how i've never seen this before and it's so vivid it's so pretty and so nice they are in this game man for a game that i played like the original game i played so long ago it has always stayed in my mind which I play a lot of games it's really impressive for a single like fairly short rpg to really stand out in your mind strongly and those games like very distinctive mechanically and visually that it's hard to forget Two less so like i see why i didn't rush to play it for so long but i'm glad that i've had the chance to do so i think lost kingdom 2 is interesting in the context of lost kingdoms 1 but i think if you were just to play it on its own it's it's a little underwhelming versus the first game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you guys have any, anything else to say about Lost Kingdoms? Um, Great music. We haven't talked about that, but the first game in particular, its battle theme is one of my more favorite pieces mm. of game music. Oh, really? It is pretty memorable, I would say. That's one song that sticks in my mind for like the past 13 years. Yeah, and it sounds suspiciously like um, Sticker Brush Symphony, Symphony from one of the Donkey Kong games. And for so long, every time I heard that music, I thought, Lost Kingdoms. It's not. There's like a few opening notes that are similar, and that's about it. I um, love in Lost Kingdom Ones, I think it's the lake theme, which is just like a onslaught of violins going. Oh my God. <laughs> like, it's like such an explosive start and then it just chills out. It's a great song. I think the theme song is always like really memorable for all of yes. us, right? That also that theme CGI is also very good, the opening CGI. Absolutely, there's so many memories I have with that. And like Lost Kingdoms, it's worth noting, like came out probably still when in the US at least, Car Captor Sakura probably would have been on like some reruns. Like everyone would have probably played seen some of that show at this point. And it sort of oh, yeah, yeah. was very appealing as someone who was like a big fan of card captors around that time, like, ah, oh, I can now play a game that's like card captors. <laughs> I never even thought about that comparison. That's interesting. 
Just because anime came out late in Australia too, so it probably came out, like, Kaka's probably airing around the same time that Lost Kingdoms came out in Australia. This is kind of like an off-topic question, but the card captures in Australia, did you guys get, like, an English dub of the opening, by the way? Yeah, we got the American oh. dub, basically. Oh. So we got Card Captors, a mystic adventure. Wow, Lost Kingdom sounds great, guys. I feel like I'm going to look into Card Captors video games now and try to see, <laughs> see if any of them. I'm going to preemptively warn you and tell you that it's not a good adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone on some adventures. I don't know. It the quality doesn't matter so much. Not to get too, there's some fascinating games like there's some PS1 games that are sort of trying to recreate episodes in like PS1 RPG sprites. Ooh. And they're kind of impressive in that sense. I watched a Nico Nico stream of that one once. That was interesting. Anyway, yeah, I just think it's interesting. It came out around this time when maybe people were caring more about cards specifically. And it also like follows this Pokemon monster raising genre craze as well. If I were to say like what Lost Kingdoms is like, it's like Pokemon, card captors, Yu-Gi-Oh! all at once. <laughs> and then you've got a princess who has her belly button out. And, oh, it's so quirky. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else quite like it. And I think that's like an important thing to always be mm. excited about. Especially since now From seems to be doing a lot of similar things extremely well, mm -hmm. but they haven't done like anything as radical as they used to do differently for a long time now. I was really hoping that Elden Ring, when it when it was getting leaked, it had a code name called Great Rune. I was like, Rune, Rune, yes. Lost Kingdoms is also called Rune in Japan. Please be Lost <laughs> Kingdoms. But it was not. I was also really excited about that possibility and like the idea of um, George R. R. Martin like coming in to like, <laughs> like deal with this universe oh my god game of thrones <laughs> it was like very exciting just how absurd that would be like such a quirky system with such like a serious mainstream writer behind it oh my god that would have been an incredible experience but sadly is not what we're getting i'm sure elden ring will be existent and that's fine but but katya won't be in there <laughs> Probably not. So who wants to take bets oh. that next year at E3, Phil Spencer comes out with his shirt on with Katya on it? <laughs> you know, given that Moon RPG is now getting localized in English, I am officially like out of impossible dreams that can happen. So I'm going to put that bet on. I'm going to bet something, a, a thing that we will determine later, that by the end of the next console generation, we will have um, a Lost Kingdom sequel. <laughs> a trequel. <laughs> a threequel. Yeah. Oh, please, please. The Lost Three Kingdoms. They had another one. Thank you guys so much for your time. I appreciate you taking uh, the hour or so to, to talk about this video game that I at least hadn't really thought about in like a decade <laughs> so i'm very glad other people are and and hopefully if you're listening you, you check out some lost kingdoms too it's a cool game please play it please play it all lost kingdoms one even we're so lonely one i'd actually recommend over two although it, i don't know if one is as expensive as two two is kind of it's not pricey but it's two is a hundred dollars last time i saw is it really oh is that sealed or Oh, no, it's not sealed. It's used, too. Uh, oh, I, I feel like I lucked out with my copy of just the disc for like $2 about 10 years ago. I then. am so jealous. <laughs> I got Lost Kingdoms 1 for $30 recently. Okay. I got I got Lost Kingdoms 1 new for 10 Um, And then... Oh. This was years ago. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, um, it was like during like mid-year. And then I got Lost Kingdoms 2 for $60 US about three years ago. That's fair. And the box art is water damaged, Ooh. so I don't know what to do about that. I can draw you a new one. I'll make that my 81st Lost Kingdoms fan art. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Do you guys want to go ahead and uh, plug whatever you have going on? We'll start with uh, Rowan here. Sure. So I do a game design podcast called Platforms and Pitfalls. Every month or so, we look at five different games and how they each approach one idea or concept in regards to game design and what they do similarly or different. The We haven't had a proper episode for a little while now, but I'd recommend looking at our Escalation episode where we look at the constant rising of things, looking at things like Tetris and such. 
I really need to check out your open world episode because I want to hear what you guys say about Final Fantasy 15. We have a special guest about that, and if you ever want to talk to him about 15, he will talk to you forever about it. Does he love it? He has lots of thoughts about it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. It's a strange game. It's, it's, a, a, it's a strange, one. messy game, as our conversation yeah. about it was too. And then, uh, Lena? Ooh, yes, so... Basically, all I have to plug is, well, my Twitter, Tap Troop. That's T A P T R O U P E. And I draw a lot of fan art and I just tweet about stuff there, mostly Lost Kingdoms right now. In fact, I've probably made over a million Lost Kingdoms tweets. You do a lot of general Nintendo stuff too. That's true. Yes, yes. Lots of Mario love. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Which I can appreciate. So, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. OneChoreport.com is the website. I have a weekly podcast that goes up every Monday uh, and then also streams every Thursday at 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. In terms of actual content, though, there's a research piece on Skip, who developed Chibi Robo. And also there's just my general playlist of video reviews as well. That, that's it. I hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.